Did you know that you're mentioned in the Bible? You know, I'm not talking if you happen to have a biblical name. As far as I know, there's no Kevin mentioned in the Bible, but, you know, we have Adam, we have Eve, we have Ruth, Noah, we have Mary, uh, we have David, we have all these people, right? But there's also, did you know, a Don, and a Kathy, and a Laura, a Luann, a Sam, well, there's a couple Sams, but uh, Sue, you are in the Bible. In fact, we have a transcript of Jesus talking about you. We have a transcript of Jesus talking directly to the Father about you. That's our passage today. It's found in John 17. We're going to dive there now, John 17, 20 through 26. See, what was Jesus just, what was he saying about us? And we're going to unpack it a little bit this morning. This is John 17, verses 20 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through my disciples' message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. So may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Thank God for his word this morning. You're in the Bible. Jesus prayed specifically for you. And that's what we just read. See, this, this prayer came at the conclusion of the Last Supper. The Last Supper, the Lord's table, which we will be celebrating today. This was his last meaningful time with his disciples before he went off and was betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, and ultimately killed on the cross. His last act before all that is set in motion was a deeply focused and a passionate prayer for you. It's beautiful. Jesus Christ was praying for all future believers. Now, you ever have that when you're like a kid or maybe you've heard like your son or your daughter kind of pray for things in the future that you really want usually, right? You're praying for the future. This is different. You know, a girl may pray for their Prince Charming someday to come and sweep her off their feet. Or a boyish-looking man may just pray that his future holds the ability to grow a beard, right? That one's mine. Still praying. Still not happening. It's okay. My faith remains. So, in God and my beard, um, we don't know the future. You and I don't know the future. But Jesus did. Jesus is God. Jesus knows all. He knows everything. So when he is praying for future believers, he already knew then and there that he was praying specifically for you. He was thinking of Margie. He was thinking of Bev. He was thinking of Jan. He was thinking of Marcia. He was thinking of Zoe. He was thinking of you. He knew 
I am praying not only for these, my closest disciples, but also for you. Now, out of everything Jesus could have prayed for in these last moments before he goes off to his betrayal, which he knew he was going to, he did it willingly, he could have prayed for anything. So what did he pray for? What was so important he wanted to make sure we had a record of it? Well, it's this impassioned plea for unity. John 17, 21 says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Think about everything you know about Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. Everything Jesus did was in union with the Father and the Spirit. Our triune God, it's, it's so united, they're three in one. And Christian unity finds its basis in our triune God. We also know Christian unity is not uniformity. And we see that present in our triune God. Just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all united, they are also all unique. And that's what a faith community are called to be as well. We are unified through our shared salvation and our belonging to God and his family. And we are all unique in our gifts and our calling. You could say we're united in mission and identity and unique in our method. But all of us, each and every one of us, is called to live faithfully and to seek unity. Because look at what Jesus goes on to say. He said, I pray that they'll all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. You see what he's saying there? The world will believe in Jesus if we remain in him. To remain in God is to walk closely with God. We, we hear echoes here of John 15, 5, where, where, where we have Jesus saying, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. For those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, as we walk closely with God, and, pr and we pray with God, and, and we seek him in all things for going the way of the world, for the way of Christ, then we're living by faith. And our faithfulness is our greatest act of evangelism. If we are living faithfully, people will see our faith. They will see how we are a bit different from the world, and it will speak volumes, and it will connect and reach people on a deep level that we can never even understand. Because as we remain in Christ, we reflect Christ everywhere we go, and the Spirit works through our faithfulness. So, in this little section of this prayer, Jesus is praying that his believers, that we might all be unified and as united as the triune God is united, and for us to be as close to Jesus as Jesus is to the Father. You think Jesus grades on a curve? <laughs> That's a tall order! Be as united as the triune God is united, and as close to Jesus as Jesus is to the Father. This is what I know to be true. We all hold a shared desire for that to be true. 
We all long for that. And we all struggle with that. But Jesus was earnestly and passionately praying that this would be so, that this would be the reality. God deeply desires for us to be one, for us to be united. Unity in the face of extreme division. <laughs> Do I even need to tell you how cracked and broken this world is? How divided it is? No. I want you to look to the person on your left. Take a good look. They're probably really a nice-looking person. They're super sweet. They're probably tell them first to say, hey, you're looking good this morning. That person was looking good. They have certain opinions that will be completely different than your own opinions. Look to the person to the right of you. Say, hey, you're looking good too, even though you're my second choice. They might have some opinions that if you knew what they believed, you'd be like, what? No way, that's crazy. Guess what? We all have crazy different opinions. Yep. Allison said, yep, because she's heard a few of mine. <laughs> and the shocker is, at least one of us is wrong, right? Yeah. We all have a lot of opinions, and there's a lot of division and disunity in this world. We know that. That is our world. You and I face it every single day. In fact, one of the only things this world is united on is how much we disagree. And so, thankfully, this small portion of Jesus' powerful prayer can help guide us in our first steps towards Christian unity. Because we all desire that, but we all struggle with that. So we fight for unity by drawing close to the one that unites us. This is one of those things, you write, you put it on the screen, and you're like, boy, that seems like we're at kindergarten uh, Sunday school here, right? It seems pretty basic. But it's a return to basics kind of thing, because we have to fight for it. And how we fight for it is by drawing close to the source. Jesus' followers can know unity amongst ourselves if we are living in union with God. If our greatest act of evangelism is our faithfulness and our world is more divided now than ever, it needs our faithfulness now more than ever. Perhaps as we draw close to God, we can focus on the things that unify us and we can help bring healing and hope to a divided and broken world. As we draw close to God individually, and as we do it together as a church body, we start to get clarity on what really matters. Some of you may remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about our sin-infected eyes, right? Where everything's blurry and nothing makes sense. Everything's distorted because sin distorts everything. And Jesus is constantly trying to give us our kingdom vision to see things clearly as, as he desires, as he longs for us. The closer we get to the source, the clearer it starts to become. And so we're reminded of these very, very basic but incredibly important truths this morning. To make Jesus the number one influence in our lives, we got to be reading our Bibles daily, praying as Jesus prayed, and keeping our eyes on the prize. Yes, I went to seminary to learn you should read your Bible every day. 
That was an expensive reminder. I should have listened to Mrs. Hookstra in kindergarten. Anyway, think about it, though. Reading your Bible, every single time we turn to God's word, we are shaped, we are changed, we are honed as the Spirit goes to work to make us more like Christ. Every single time. It does not ever return to God void. Every single time we go to it, we are shaped a little bit more into the image of Christ. The problem is, everything that we read or we watch or that we do has the opportunity to shape and hone us as well. So if we are not regularly digesting God's word, then it's likely not the number one influence in our lives. We Christians can be funny, right? We can like open up our Bibles and oh, that's kind of a long chapter, Pastor Kevin, in this reading plan, but all right. You make it through halfway, I'm almost there. You get to the end, took about three minutes. Woo, that was heavy stuff, but I did it, right? I say that as guilty. I do that too. And then we go on and we spend hours watching the news or watching shows or reading, I don't know, what's everyone on these days? Twitter? Is anyone on Twitter anymore? Reddit? YouTube? I don't know. Sam's just laughing at me. Don't, don't try and be relevant. <laughs> I know I'm not. <laughs> we do that though, don't we? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we read our Bibles more than we watched the news. I wonder what would happen if we spent time in God's Word more than we did online. What would that do to us individually? What would that do to us as a body? What would that do for our world? What is the number one influence in our lives. We'll often say God, but our choices and actions might not always line up with what we say. Another way to think of it, what is the number one source of your food? You know the saying, you are what you eat. That means we're influenced by what we consume. So what is influencing you? the never-ending, life-changing, spirit-filled word of God, or something, anything else, which is lesser of this world. If this is a struggle for you, I mean, we try and make it easy for you with our reading plans. Give that a shot starting tomorrow. Or maybe you're already diving into God's word pretty regularly, but there's these other voices that are combating God's word, and you don't really know what, what one matters most. It might be time to set a limit on those other voices. Don't get me wrong, they can be good. We have to be informed. We have to know what's going on, all that stuff. But we have to do it in a healthy way. Next, the next thing. Uh, to make Jesus the number one influence in our lives, we want to pray as Jesus prayed. So yes, read your Bible and pray. That's what we're talking about. That means in the morning, in the evening, even at supper time, we pray. That's how Jesus prayed. And it also means that we pray for our enemies. Oh, really? Come on. I don't want to do that. Pray for our enemies. We pray for our enemies, for those that have hurt us, for those that we disagree with. Anyone disagree with anybody? 
about anything. You all disagreed with me asking you to raise your hand. You're like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We pray for those we disagree with, for those who don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he's hanging on a cross. Man. We pray for our enemies because praying for our enemies, yeah, it's one of the hardest things we can do and one of the healthiest things we can do to align our hearts more with God's. See, our hearts as we go through life has a natural inclination to want to be hardened. And we need to rely on God's spirit to help chip away at that hardness and soften it. And if you have someone who has wronged you in your life or you just disagree with, and again, all of these, speaking from experience, guilty as charged, got to pray for those individuals, pray for those people. And slowly, you might start to see them a little bit more how God sees them. Or you might start to see the situation with a little bit more perspective. Doesn't justify what someone did if there was a wrong, but it can help us and our hearts be right with God. So who do you need to pray for today? Who is that enemy? Who do you not even want to think about when you're sitting in church and worshiping that you need to pray for today? I want you to silently in your head, so don't speak it out loud unless you want to, I guess. Say that name in your head. Say it out loud. Name that person and offer that person to God right now. And don't let that be the last time you offer that person to God. See, you and I know division in this world will happen naturally. We don't have to work hard for it to happen. But unity, you fight for unity. It's a fight. So finally, to make Jesus the number one influence in our life, we remember our upward calling that we have received in Christ Jesus. We will keep our eyes on the prize and be about the kingdom work and not all these petty earthly distractions. And man, there are some shiny distractions out there for us, right? We were called to a higher calling than that. We were called to be about the king and his business, the kingdom work he has called us to. That is what matters. So what do we need to cling to and hold on to tightly? What do we need to hold loosely and what do we need to completely cast aside and let go of completely because it is no good we always cling to god and his mission we hold on to the convictions we have in him while still seeking to be open and curious to learn more about him and draw closer to him we let go all the petty distractions that just get in the way and do us and our neighbor harm there's a higher calling for us. Too many of us are clinging to things that are just not healthy. It's, it's kind of like if you hold on to a jellyfish and you're acting like it's not stinging you. With so much division in this world, as we study Jesus' impassioned prayer for us to be made one, Jesus reminds us that our faithfulness it is our greatest act of evangelism. When a watching, lost, hurting, broken world looks in on the body of believers, what should they see? Something that they can't find anywhere else. 
Because we have something you can't get without the giver of all good gifts. They ought to see the love, the support, the encouragement, the acceptance, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that all of us desire and long for. What we freely have received, we will freely give back as the community and church of God. Our greatest act of evangelism is our own faithfulness. So the more we remain in Christ, he remains in us. The more like him we become, the less like this world we become, and what we have then is what this world needs, because it is from God, and his kingdom spreads. And together, we do that by drawing closer to the source of our unity. And if we think that's not possible, if we think that's too tall of an order, that's too hard, that Jesus does need to grade us on a curb, well, Jesus goes before us. We remember this feast, this feast that we will partake today. We remember the context of Jesus' prayer. He sits around the table with his disciples and has the Lord's Supper. <laughs> yeah, we have different opinions. Yeah, a lot of them are wrong. Disciples had many opinions. We have public record of Jesus calling them out, saying, you're wrong. But as we seek to be more like Jesus, to seek his path that brings unity, purity, and peace, we're reminded that we are united, not in politics, not in party lines, not in sports teams or clothing preferences or musical tastes. We are united in Jesus Christ. And so today, as our brothers and sisters across the world gather and are united around this table, we remember that Jesus, who was as different from those around that table as you could imagine, that Jesus, the one who washed the feet of his betrayer, his denier, those who sinned directly against him and left him. That very Jesus who knew every wrong thought of those disciples, who met all their misplaced hopes, he knew their pride, he knew their selfishness, he knew their political affiliation, he knew their struggles, their opinions that were just plain wrong. And yet says in John that he looked at his disciples and he loved them to the very end. Jesus Christ loves you to the very end. In that same way that Jesus united those people in him at that table, we are united around this table. We don't have it all right. We don't have all the right answers. We don't even have the right opinions, but we have a good Savior. And he has welcomed us to this table. Each one who feasts of this celebration has fallen short. But for the grace of God, here we sit in church and at home with this feast of remembrance and celebration. This right here is what matters. This is what we cling to in the midst of the chaos. We remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
And we remember that very night that Jesus had prayed for us with your name on his mind. After giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he handed it out to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And he handed it out to his disciples. They ate it. They're unified in their sharing of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. You know, as a kid, I always wondered, what does that mean, the new covenant of my blood? The way I like to think of it, to translate it, is that Jesus was defining new terms of a relationship. He was making a promise of his relationship with us. He's saying, hey, I am paying the cost. I am paying the cost of sin as displayed in the blood of my sacrifice so that you and I can be in relationship forever in eternity. Take and drink, because this cup represents my blood shed for you. Jesus did this knowing that his entire flock was prone to wander. But at this feast, all disciples, followers of him, here in Kalamazoo, at home, across the globe as we celebrate today, are realigned and united in him once again around this shared meal. This meal is a sign and seal of God's never-ending love for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're truly sorry for your sins, you are welcome at this table. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. Come, for all things are now ready. So we're going to be partaking of communion. It's a little bit different this morning. You all have your own little self-serve pack. And, you know, you, when you plan a service, sometimes you want things to be polished. And then sometimes you're reminded that this is a family. And I don't remember the last family meal I had that was polished. And so here we are at this family meal where I encourage you to take and take off that first peel. There should be a tiny little wafer in there. It might break in your hands. That's okay. You might get crumbs all over. That's okay. We're all children of God, and so we have crumbs. And we will take that bread. And all you at home, you can take your bread as well. I'll kind of wait till I hear the uh, symphony of rappers fade. You have that wafer, you have that bread at home. Hold it in your hands and look upon it. This represents Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat, believing in your assured salvation in Christ. And Jesus was awfully wise with the imagery he used. He was very intentional in everything he did. And we have this image, when we eat bread, you eat bread because it satisfies your hunger. 
and we hunger for God. But he also knows when you eat something such as bread, you're also thirsty. And this cup, it, it symbolizes for us the living water that will quench our thirst forever and a sacrifice on the cross. So I encourage you, take, drink the cup, because this is Christ's blood shed for you. Praise be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful, deeply grateful to be united around your table this morning. And Lord, yeah, we can look and we can see how divided and fractured the world is. And yet, just now, we partook in a feast that is happening all over the globe around your shared table, proclaiming that you alone are the way of salvation, that you are the one true God. So God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you offer this feast to us. We give you thanks that you are the source of all good things and that you meet us right where we're at. So as we remember, Lord, your good gifts, we pray that you may do a mighty work in us, encourage us and prod us and inspire us forward today to take our next step towards you. May this message, may this meal marinate deep within us as your spirit goes to work, Lord. For this all in Jesus' name, amen.